0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans here. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at Dumbarlumber.com. All right, so you want to hear my uh, Shohei Otani Canucks take? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so the Canucks takeaway from the Shohei Otani, I don't know what you want to call it, fiasco from a Jay's perspective, (laughs) whatever, Uh, episode, free agency, signs the 10-year, $700 million with the LA Dodgers. Always the logical favorite, the LA Dodgers. My takeaway is that uh, Creative Artists Agency, CAA, Always win. It is their world. The rest of us are merely living in it. From from reading the tea leaves and some of the reporting, there was only one location that Shohei Otani had in mind. It was the logical one. It was the one that if you had asked anybody casual to plugged-in observer of baseball two months ago would have said, oh, probably the Dodgers. His right? stuff's already there. His stuff's already there. They're rich. They're really good. It all makes so much sense. Probably the only place he was ever going – and they still squeeze every last penny they can to get up to 700 million out of the LA Dodgers. And I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to put my tinfoil hat on too much here. But you, again, you read some of the tea leaves, you read between the lines, and it sure seems like uh, CAA did everything they could to throw up the Otani to Toronto smokescreen on Friday to try to just squeeze the L.A. Dodgers a little bit more, and they get it done. They get their $700 million contract. And the reason this is a Canucks takeaway, of course, your answer is CAA represents pending restricted free agents, free agent Elias Pettersson of the Vancouver Canucks. Robert Hershevich. Yes.
1: <laughs> My favorite was when See, people <laughs> were putting the pieces together, and they're like, and CAA also represents... Dragons Den star Robert hershevich It's like CAA represents CAA just yeah, about everybody. How many clients do you think they have? Like, it's like in the thousands, right? Yeah. Oh man, for sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, apples in the thousands. Yeah. But like how many? How many do we think? Here? Absolutely, they got a lot. Sixty-nine thousand. Sixty-nine thousand. Are you serious? You just looked that up. Oh, I oh. Ask, I'm just my guest. Dom. Nice number. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, there's a lot. There's a lot of clients Sorry, at yeah, CAA. Sorry, 6,900. Yeah, okay, okay. Anyway, CAA is a big deal, and they yeah. have lots of clients, and they are not slowly moving pieces around the board with, like, Robert, we're going to need you to take a flight to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if he was already planning to go, all right, he's flying back. No, that part of it I'm not buying, but some of the other stuff that happened. Yeah, I mean, it does sound like from Verducci's reporting too that like some of the Blue Jays gossip spooked the Dodgers. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, right. It was like a con-
0: it was, and that's why. I mean, look, we'll get back into the Canucks here. Why, why, why I don't? You know, people are like scolding Jays fans like, "Oh, tricked yourself by tracking a private of it." Jen's like, "No, the Dodgers were spooked." Like yeah. this was a, this was a concerted effort to make it look
1: like this was happening for a reason, and it happened. Like you know what I mean? I wish my job honestly was just like to be like, let's uh, get someone on Twitter to point out <laughs> yeah. that he's the puppet master, lifelong friends with Kakuchi. <laughs> Pulling the strings. Let's text in, yeah, to the Toronto Sports Talk Morning Show about a sushi a reservation. sushi reservation. Yeah. By the way, no one could uh, text you say, and say, "Hey, why do you have this reservation? <laughs> is it for your wife's birthday?" <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we probably he didn't even have it. I'm sure, but anyways, yeah, do no we, know we know. did he had a reservation? Are you sure his is that confirmed? For his wife's birthday. Uh, is,
2: uh, are is
1: that confirmed? Are yeah, you yeah, falling yeah. victim to the CAA Ghost Whisperer yeah. on Twitter and in radio inboxes across North America? So, the Pedersen thing's funny because yeah, CAA gets their dollar. Do I buy the CAA absolute puppet masters? Like, you know that they're the they're the version of the stone cutters. Yeah. They make Steve <laughs> Go- Gutenberg a star. Like, no, I don't. I think that's a little overcooked. But they know what they're doing, and oh, uh, yeah. I mean, JP Barry and Pat Brisson know what they're doing without question. Without question. Um, by the way, so does Alan Walsh. Alan Walsh is, uh, who represents Philip Ronek. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes too, hockey players prefer to be with the small independent guy who fights for them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Max Pacioretty would be one mm-hmm. who literally left CAA to go to Walsh, um, you know, over the course of a contract negotiation. And, and that resulted in him getting traded out of Montreal. Like that was the sort of solve there. So yeah, I mean, look, the Canucks are in tough in these negotiations. We know that, and and I think that's a funny takeaway is that like what we saw with Otani was proof positive of of just how significant mm-hmm. the, the the boss battle is going to be here. So the good news though is that if uh, if there is a, a,
0: a an Elias Pettersson private jet to L.A. rumor in the summer, maybe it's just like you know what I mean. It's the it's the inverse. <laughs>
1: It's it's actually just to to get things over the finish line uh, with the Canucks. Um, the Pedersen private jet to L.A. thing—you just sent a shiver down my spine. <laughs> no, but that would be a good sign because it's actually just the final negotiating play. Yeah, one hopes. Yeah. Um. Okay. Back to the, uh, the, the you know the the other thing is the risk of CAA. Like the ri- the the risk with Petterson's not what the final number looks like. Right. Like this yeah. is a really important thing to remember. The risk with Pedersen is not. Can they get him at a number that makes sense? There's almost no number that doesn't make sense. Like, Mm -hmm. there's almost no amount that you can pay your Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson tier guy
0: that is actually an overpay. Well, and the good news is it's very hard for me to imagine a situation where negotiations break down because the Canucks aren't willing to go to a certain number. You know what I mean? Like, I have a tough time seeing that. I think it would be more Elias Petterson decides he wants to go somewhere else, right? Well, that's rather, the risk, yeah. But you know what I mean, rather than like, oh, we think you're worth Elias Pedersen wants twelve I mean, five, but we're not going a dollar over twelve from everything. Like, that's not.
1: I, I just don't see that as a real risk. From everything we've heard, it certainly se- seems like the ball's in Pedersen's court. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think the risk of the risk with Pedersen is not what the outcome of any negotiation looks like. It's it's you know the 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 ability at this point. As he approaches pre-agency to exercise various rights, um, you know, to to advocate for himself in, in the event that he wants something different, which, you know, again, is not a risk that I'm like concerned about. No. So much as it's one to be aware of as we sort of look at and examine the shape of things. But again, that's the risk,
0: not like, ah, oh, we just couldn't agree on a dollar that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it, that's a risk with some free agents.
1: I don't see that well, here I, as being a risk. I mean, it's why the it's why like the, the cap conversation around the Toronto Maple Leafs players has always been so wild, right? It's like or or around Connor McDavid. Right? It's like there's no amount. You mm. could you could pay Connor McDavid 18 million a year and like, yeah, is it harder to build an above average blue line as a result? Like sure, especially if you're signing Jack Campbell. But, like, the fact is is that he's worth that. Mm-hmm. He's worth three times that. A- I mean, that's the other thing. The The other thing that the Otani, the other Canucks take for the Otani thing is, like, let's just remember most of these guys are underpaid given the value they actually bring to the franchise, especially the top-level players. Uh, Otani's going to make $700 million over the full, full total value of this contract. Mm-hmm. The entire free agent class of 2023 in the NHL signed for less total value than that. Like the day one yep. July 1, 2023 for agent class. So, um just something to something to bear in mind, it's it's a big reason why I tend to roll my eyes at sticker shock takes. So, back
0: to the Canucks. Um on Ethan Bear and the Canucks again. The reporting from Rick Dollywall, The Canucks are out on Ethan Bear. A lot of indications that he could be going to Washington. Now another part of that uh, Rick Dollywall report from, of course, Donnie and Dolly on Check TV, and they'll join us uh, both Donnie and Dolly on Wednesday for the crossover. Another another part of that report was including other names on the blue line that the Canucks are interested in, and two names specifically he referenced. One we've heard before, Chris Tanev, of course, former Canuck, pending UFA, on the block in Calgary. Uh, and the other one he threw in, who we just saw on Saturday, also a former member of the Canucks organization, Jalen Chatfield, who is a pending UFA in Carolina. And Dolly was said he doesn't think Chatfield and the team are close on a contract extension. And so those are interesting names. And again, we've heard of before Chatfield's an interesting one, certainly uh, on a very cheap deal right now. I do think it's interesting. And somebody texted in, you know, the thing that really hurts with bear was you were, you didn't need to give up anything to get him right. He was a free agent. You didn't need to spend assets. And beyond what you think about his fit as a player, that's undeniably a very, was a very, very attractive thing about it for the Vancouver Canucks for every team that's interested in acquiring uh, Ethan Bear. But I do think, you know, we know, or at least I think we can surmise that this can- Canucks management group's interest in upgrading the blue line, even this season, is not going to end with Ethan Bear, right? It wasn't just no, limited to Ethan no, Bear. We saw them not. make the Nikita Zadorov deal. So I'm sure they're going to be out there uh, looking for other options, looking for guys that they'll have to trade and have to acquire that way to improve this blue line. And I just think we're in a really fascinating moment here for the Canucks. Because, you know, Dolly will really emphasize, hey, Tanev and Chaffield are both pending UFAs. That's really good for them because, you know, you don't want to have those commitments going in uh, to next year. And I understand that, right? You want to have as much flexibility as possible with the Pedersen and heronic situations. But then you also get into the situation of, well, how many assets can you give up just for this season when you don't have any certainty with a player beyond this year? Well, that's,
1: you know, one, two, two, three, three, five, right? That's the right? That's the assets effectively given up to construct this team a first and a second for Hronik, a second to get off the dickinson money uh um, an additional third to get off to smith pearson uh, pearson to get and, yeah. and to acquire to smith uh where's the other third from or is it one two two three i don't five? know five there's another third in there right. anyway this is your oh, list, this is your your list. Dorav. the other third yeah. and then the fifth would be lafferty now they've also brought picks in because they've done Shen deal yep. and Mott deal and I know Josh Elliott Wolf tracks that really closely and and it's good from a global perspective but the fact remains that those are whether they were acquired by other trades or not, right? They they've been used to construct this team. And when you have this many points and this high a goal differential after 28 games or 27 games, that looks sage, right? That's mm-hmm. fine. No one cares about draft picks when you're winning. No one should, by the way. Right, like we should care less about draft picks. This is this is the um, spin on Thomas Transerotica, right? Like out of the same corner of my mouth that I've criticized the Canucks for not what is it? Because I referenced myself in the third. Uh, no, uh, you referenced the you specifically. People <laughs> know, say it going. to me on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone what knows what I mean. What a no, life! They don't. Yes, they do. No one has come up to you and said Thomas Transerotica. Multiple people, including one guy who I then called out on Halford and Bruff, and then it turns out we're neighbors. If you live in the same building? Well, ne- like, he, right behind. He lives in the building where I take my dog to do his business. That's concerning. So, no, no, we've had good conversations. I had the opportunity to apologize, which was good, because my wife was very concerned um, that he'd be upset. He wasn't. He was a totally normal guy about it. Um, anyway. <laughs> I got really sidetracked. Uh-huh. Go on. No, like, I think I think about uh, Xavier Borgo a lot. Sure. Of course okay. you do. Of course I do, yeah. right? Naturally. Who, who doesn't? <laughs> Do you not think about Xavier Borgo often? <laughs> Can't say that I do. <laughs> so Xavier Borgo is like a fine prospect, a late first round pick of the Edmonton Oilers, mm-hmm. who is, you know, doing okay in the AHL, like eight points in 17 games. Fine. You know, he's, he's 21, right? Like, that's okay. Especially for like an absolute natural centerman will play center his whole professional hockey career who's right-handed. It's like, yeah, you know, you might have a really nice bottom six piece in two or three years. You never should have made what that What good draft does pick. that do you? You, you never should have made a that draft pick, yeah. right? Like, that's, to me, having Xavier Borgo work his way up in the AHL in McDavid's prime is, like, a failure. That's, like, systemic failure. It, it, just as much as it is to spend a ton of draft capital and, and not make the playoffs. Right now, the Canucks are on track for this investment of futures and of cap space to have been at least arguably worth it. And and for most people, I think listening to this clearly worth it, Drance, you were wrong, Um, which is a a fair point to have at this point, if they can sustain it, that's great. But I do think it's worth considering. Like on the one hand, this team's found creative ways to make trades. Some of which I've really liked the, the Bovillier shedding Bovillier in particular, But also, some of them have been lubricated by valuing and assessing futures, the price of futures, and the price of cap space and cap commitments differently from everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, this team has partly been able to consummate trades that other teams haven't at a higher volume because they don't seem to value cap space the same way and they don't seem to value draft picks the same way as most other teams in the league. And again, while it's working, while this team performs, that's completely fine. That's, in fact, them accomplishing what they're out here to do, which is make the playoffs. If this team can't sustain this, though, then we'll be having a very different conversation 30 games out, which is why performances, for me anyway, like the one in Carolina, where it's like, oh, this team looks really imposing, matter. It's It's why... having a successful homestand against five really tough opponents matters. That's that's sort of what, for me anyway, sets the stakes here.
0: I also just think, you know, we always, as we get into the new year and then get closer to the trade deadline, we always group teams, right? Hey, there's buyers. And they're sellers. And I just think if you look at this Canucks season, how they, you know, the fact that they've won a lot of games early in the season, they're in very, very comfortable position to make the playoffs. But then on the other side, you know, the fact that they've already given up a fair number of future assets to build this team. Uh, they have the Pedersen and Rona contract situations that they need to figure out. They also just have a lot of free agents, right? On the blue line, but elsewhere in the lineup oh, in general, yeah. right? UFA is like. There's a lot of balls in the air. Now we hear, you know, that teams are calling on Kuzmenko, that they're still trying to clear cap space, right, which has been an ongoing theme uh, going back to since Jim Rutherford was hired here. Like, there's just a lot of things and incentives cool. pointing in different directions. I feel like the Canucks might be that true team where we're getting close to the deadline and they're not a buyer or a seller, right? Like, I and I think – Or they're both. That's what I mean. Yeah. right. Like, I they're not a true one of either candidate. And I actually think that's probably the right – Approach for them to have like we had this conversation with sat last week, right? Like, I think the best thing for the Canucks right now is just to keep an extremely open mind, right? Whether that's on a player like Andre Kuzmenko, whether that's on a player like Tyler Myers, who's, hey, played 20 minutes of really solid hockey on Saturday for you, but is also a pending unrestricted free agent. I I don't think this team should be an all-in buyer. At least I haven't quite seen it yet, but I also don't think they should be, oh, well, we're selling all of our UFAs. I think they're going to have to chart a more complicated, more flexible course. That's a hard thing to do. I think if you nail it, it has a lot of upside. It's just, it's it's a bit of uncharted territory for a lot of NHL teams. I mean,
1: I'm here for it from the perspective of I think this organization's best work has been done with those sorts of limitations. Mm. Um, Like, this man, even since we've seen this management group come in um, you know, for example, uh, charting a, a win now path without actually committing much long-term money this summer yep. represents like four absolutely great bets, in my opinion. Like that was some of their best work. I think the sleight of hand of like Beauvillier for a draft pick opportunistically, and then turning around and paying that draft pick as to sweeten the pot and get yourself Zadorov. Uh, you know, effectively absorbing his contract into the cap space you just created. Like, that that to me is some of their best work. A hybrid approach to the deadline where you're, you know, say say it's a Myers type, right? Because where where you've got $6 going out to a team that wants some veteran defensive help. Um, You know, if you're able to do that and then use that cap space to your advantage to also buy, um, you know, that that to me makes sense. I I think you just have to be careful about Doing it like I, I know again this will be an unpopular opinion, but people will fairly point to like you trade Horvat for a first and then use that first to buy Horonic. That's another example. They actually did it last deadline. I, I I just worry about limiting your ceiling too far. Yeah. With that sort of that sort of deal, uh, given that level of future investment. And as you said, with all the balls in the air, the hope that this team keeps progressing, that this isn't the high point. I think you can get to a point where you've spent too many futures to make that a... a Likely outcome.
0: Uh, before we go to break here, and Brendan Bachelor will join us on the other side for a chat. Uh, I did just want to take a second to uh, just mention Joey Kenward, our, our colleague here, friend, of course, longtime broadcaster in Vancouver, hockey personality here in Vancouver. You might have seen on social media or on the broadcast on Saturday. Joey announced uh, over the weekend uh, he's recently been diagnosed with leukemia, and really, really obviously tough news. For Joey and his family, his partner, uh, and his son, his young son. So we're we're thinking of Joey and his family. I know he's gonna he's gonna pull through this. And uh, a GoFundMe has been started. You can find it on Sportsnet 650's Twitter profile. I think Drance and I have both retweeted it as well. So if you want to contribute, if you want to help Joey. And his family, with some of the expenses uh, associated with this, I encourage you to reach out uh, or, or go find the GoFundMe and and give what you can at this time of year. And again, we're all thinking for Joey. Uh, we're keeping him and his family in our thoughts, and uh, we're here for him. And we're hoping that we are uh, will be passing along really good news as soon as possible. And again, you can find the GoFundMe on our Twitter profile on Sportsnet 650. We will take a break. Brendan Bachelor on the other side here on Canuck Stock Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 6.0. 50, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, our next guest, who continues to join the show on a regular basis despite Drance uh, subjecting him to absolute nonsense whenever he comes on the air, he is the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Our guy Brendan
2: Batchelor. What's going on, Batch? But none of my other hits contain nonsense, so I need to change it up. Every <laughs> once
0: yeah, there to. you go. Well, I'm glad you uh, you continue to make time for us. I don't, have no don't idea. Don't you do
1: Halford and Bruff?
2: that's true good
0: point (laughs) Uh, i have no idea what what if anything grants has cooked up for you today but we'll find out at some point um so the canucks win their second in a row first time in a while we've been able to say that four three over the hurricanes on saturday what was your big takeaway from the win on the weekend
2: yeah one of the more complete games we've seen from them in the past month i would say uh you know it's what november 15th i think was the last time they won two games in a row and Um, You know, some things have happened in that stretch. Obviously, Pedersen had a bit of a downward trend. Um, You know, they brought Zadorov in, and he's still finding his feet with the organization. And they've got injuries with Suter and uh, with Susie, although I guess we'll see what this week holds for Pugh-Suter in terms of a potential return to the lineup. But uh, it felt like they were getting back to the team that we saw dominate as much as they did early in the year in terms of buying into the way that Rick Tockett wants them to play and doing it consistently, not just for a couple of periods here or there or, or a stretch here or there, but for the vast majority of that game. And they were able to have success against a team that's struggling and take advantage of that as they try to continue a positive homestand.
1: Finding his feet like Kadarius Toney or like Rex Ryan? Uh, probably <laughs> Kadarius
2: Tony. I hope not Rex Ryan. <laughs> i'm sure rex ryan is very good at finding feet but um (laughs) but in terms of zadorov uh you know i think i think he's had uh he's had some ups and downs but i thought you know the game against carolina was probably his best as a canuck in terms of Um, being reliable, being consistent, understanding his role and where he fits in within the system. And so that's a good sign, I think, um, as a guy that, you know, as I said, was maybe a little bit up and down right away, and you would expect that coming to a new team, and he hadn't been playing very well for the Flames prior to the trade, but I like the way he played the other night.
1: What did you make of the too many men on the ice penalties, which, if we're being honest, kind of kept carolina in the game because i agree with you i thought it was their best uh, all-around performance in months or, or in a month at least um and yet two bench miners. it's the same lefty defenseman it's hughes and, and ian cole um sort of miscommunication on both plays and we did see quinn hughes only play a couple shifts as the club closed out A narrow win like he only had a couple shifts in the last six minutes of the game which is very uncharacteristic for how this team has utilized him for much of the season is that you know another example of talk it accountability or was there something else that you saw in Quinn Hughes's game that might have explained um you know that that sort of a curious deployment from the Canucks
2: yeah I think we've seen that a couple times recently like this isn't the only game and I want to say it was the game in Calgary where he didn't play a lot right at the end when they were trying to close out a win mm. and, and things got a little hairy, but they found a way to win. And I could be wrong about that, but, um, but I wonder, I think, I think this is part of talk conscious effort to try and spread the minutes out a bit more now that he has Zodorov here. And I think we've seen Zodorov and Myers used in some of those late game protecting lead, situations i don't think it's anything you know against quinn hughes or the way he's playing in fact um you know for the circumstances of the first too many men on the ice penalty i thought that was more on ian cole than it was on quinn hughes for for a bit of a slow change to the bench which we know that rick talkett really doesn't like uh, and has tried to, to hammer home for this group and you know, Cole is uh, a, a tremendous in that regard, and he's one of the most consistent players they've got. So that's sort of an, an aberration that that would happen in that situation in particular. But I, I do wonder if this is less about we don't want Quinn Hughes out in that situation or um, we're trying to punish him for being responsible for penalties. I think it's just backing off his minutes, and in games where you're leading, you have the luxury of doing that, whereas when you're going to chase in games and you're going to need goals and you're going to need offense, that's where they're going to be more likely to ride Hughes late into the third period uh, to, to try and battle back in games. So uh, I'll be interested to see if the trend continues because that's a couple of games now where I've noticed that he's had Myers and Zadorov out in key situations at the end of the game instead of Hughes and Hirona.
0: Do you think we're also just seeing how much this coaching staff really values the size element that Zadorov and yeah. Myers bring on the back end?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the you, you can say a lot for Quinn Hughes, and and we have this year in terms of how tremendous he is. Um, but do you really want Quinn Hughes being the guy that has to step in shooting lanes and block shots and, and be that guy late in a game where you're under pressure in your own zone? Like, that to me, of all the great – sets that that Queen Hughes has, and certainly being able to exit the D zone under pressure late in the third period would help them there. Um, I, I wonder if that's part of it. Is is they've got the size on that pairing? Those are both guys that are willing to eat pucks that can play a physical brand of hockey. And as good as Hughes is, I wouldn't use that as as a way to describe the way that he plays. So. You know, it may not be something we see continue over the long term, and it may, in fact, make more sense for having a guy that is a zone exit machine out on the ice when you're protecting a lead late. But, uh, talk it. We know he values the size. He's talked about it ever since he arrived. He talked about, you know, the Vegas uh, blue line before they won the cup last year and how much he appreciated the size and mobility they had on the back end and then for them to go and win the Stanley Cup and have as much success as they did I'm sure only validated Talkett's thinking on that now that doesn't mean that he's you know not going to play Queen Hughes in critical situations because he just wants a tall guy out there but I think it's a perfect storm of he's got you know the tallest pairing that maybe we've ever seen in the history of hockey with <laughs> Myers and Zdorov together they have the reach um, they they have the ability to block shots, and you can get them out there in that situation. And the added benefit is that you're backing off these minutes as well.
0: Uh, of course, also on minutes watch always these days is Andre Kuzmenko plays around ten and a half total, but by my count over the final two periods only four twenty six. Of course, a big part of that is Canucks not having a lot of power plays and. You know, I feel like we're kind of in this spot now with Kuzmenko where this is kind of what we should expect until something, you know, either he gets on uh, on a hot streak or or something else happens in either direction here. Is that what you would kind of expect as well? That, you know, this is, this is the type of usage we're looking at for at least the foreseeable future for Andre Kuzmenko?
2: For the most part, although I think it's situational, and this is something that we've seen really from the start of the season when the Canucks are up and protecting a lead, Kuzmenko's minutes go down. When they're trailing and trying to battle back, his minutes go up. And you can understand that because he's a guy that's capable of offense. So when you need it, uh, you're going to want him out there to, to try and help you battle back in the game. Uh, but when you're protecting a lead, it's clear that the coaching staff don't trust him, uh, whether it, it's puck management or defensive zone coverage um, or getting in on the forecheck. These are all things that Rick Talkett has highlighted as staples of the game non-negotiables we all know the the terms the talkitisms that have become part of the hockey vernacular here in Vancouver now and none of those things are are things that Kuzmenko brings on a consistent basis so uh until either he buys into the way he has to play or improves in some of those areas away from the puck then i would imagine when the Canucks are leading in games and look they're they've led a lot they've they're 15 and 0 when leading after two periods this year, they've got more wins than any other team when leading after two periods, and the fact that they've you know ha- been in that situation in more than half of their games doesn't help Kuzmenko's deployment either. Because if you're up and you want you know reliable, consistent guys that are going to do the things you need them to do, Andre Kuzmenko is very far down that list of guys you're going to use in that situation, and I imagine it will remain that way just because. You know, at at his age, where he's at in his development, he's not a young rookie in this league or anything. It's going to be hard for him to to learn this way to play, but he's going to have to, and he's going to have to make improvements. Or Rick Tockett isn't going to trust him out there in these sorts of situations, and it's a big part of the reason why he's not on Pedersen's line anymore either. Because you know, you want the PD line out there. You understand that Pedersen is a, a two way force that can be used in a matchup role, and Um, it's a big part of the reason why we see a guy like Lafferty, who is also that reliable, consistent, does the right thing, 99% of the time guy on that line. Even if you're giving up offensive upside by not having a player as skilled as Kuzmenko playing with Pedersen, you get consistency and reliability. And we know that head coaches value that pretty much over all else.
1: We saw Pedersen really manufacture three goals individually, Um, In that game, Lafferty, the beneficiary of of a rebound, and and Mikheyev, the beneficiary of of beating a guy in the blue paint. Are you on board with the, so long as Kuzmenko's still on the power play, there's a path back, or is it too big a body blow to lose that plum opportunity of being like Pedersen's go-to running mate, five-on-five?
2: I think there's always a path back. And the reason I say that is because we have seen a rotating cast of characters in the Canucks' top six over the last two-plus seasons. Um, so to me, I would, I would say that the pathway will only be blocked for Kuzmenko if there's an acquisition to fill that need. But with the current roster that they have, like Phil DiGiuseppe looked great at the start of the year on the Miller line. He's not there anymore. Lafferty's up the lineup right now but would it surprise you at all if you know he goes quiet offensively for a few games and they move him down and give someone else an opportunity up the lineup you know Niels Hoaglander's playing well too but you know to, to this point in his career he struggled for consistency that doesn't mean that he can't find it now but uh, until until someone proves to me in this forward group that they can stick in that top six spot and they can do it over a larger sample size than 10 or 15 games, then there's always a pathway back because guys are always going to give you the opportunity to take their job. Nobody's putting a firm stamp on a spot in the top six. And I love what Sam Lafferty's done. He's on pace for a career year offensively. He's played the middle for them. He's played the wing. He's been down the lineup. He's been up the lineup. It's clear that the head coach loves him and trusts him. And you can understand why. But is Sam Lafferty the answer in the top six long term? Probably not. Probably not. So if Andre Kuzmenko can find his game, can do some of these things that talk at once, I believe the opportunity is absolutely still there for him. But he's got to put in the work and recognize the the deficiencies in his game that the head coach wants him to correct and frankly will need him to correct before he gets that opportunity up the lineup again again. Um, And then it comes down to the conversation you guys were having earlier about confidence. And as long as you're on that top power play unit with the guys that you're playing with, you have the chance to produce offense. You have the chance to restore confidence. And if you're able to do that, and then for Kuzmenko, pair that with doing some of the things that Tockett is expecting, not just of him, but of every player on the team, then there absolutely is a pathway back to the top six. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see Kuzmenko back there at some point this season.
1: What do you make of uh, Ethan Bear not landing in Vancouver?
2: Yeah, well, the blue line got more crowded with the Zadorov acquisition, and um, it's clear that there are other teams out there that are either willing to give him more money, or more term, or a greater role. And for a guy that's coming off an injury like this, uh, that that wants to, you know, regain his footing in his NHL career after. You know, came to Vancouver, got that chance following being a healthy scratch for an extended period in Carolina. I'm sure, you know, at the top of Bears' priority list is getting the chance to play, getting the chance to have minutes, getting the chance to prove the kind of defenseman that you believe you are, or uh, prove that you can be the kind of defenseman that you believe you are at the NHL level again. And, you know, I, I guess it depends on what role they could have earmarked for him on the blue line in Vancouver. And whether, you know, if he was going to be back on, on a pairing with Queen Hughes, then that, that would have made a lot of sense. But at the same time, it comes down to dollars and cents and term, too. And for a guy coming off a, a pretty devastating injury, I'm sure he has to weigh all of these factors. And it seems clear that whether it's the role situation or the money situation or the term situation, whatever it might be, it was something that the Canucks couldn't do at the moment with their current salary cap constraints and the acquisitions they've made on the back end not just with Zadorov, but with Cole and with Susie and Hironik Um, and and so it probably just didn't make sense for Bear to to come here if he's going to have an opportunity to play a much greater role somewhere else like in Washington.
0: I think it's telling, though, Batch, because as you said, when Susie comes back at some point, you know, they're going to have six very clear cut, obvious NHL defensemen, but, you know, they were still interested in Ethan Bear, so there's obviously still an appetite to add to that mix and add guys that you have confidence in and improve the blue line from your perspective you know we talked about adding the size of zadorov and now that you you know you see him out there late in games what are the traits what are the things you think they could really use if they were to go out and you know one way or another acquire another defenseman in season this year
2: yeah a right shot probably is the top of my list because when those six defensemen are healthy you're going to be playing a lefty on the right side which I don't think he's that big of a deal, but Rick Talkett hasn't really liked doing it. In fact, we've only really seen him play righties on the left side. We haven't seen him play lefties on the right side very much, and uh, I think it'll be interesting, assuming they can get back to full health, um, to see who gets that opportunity. So a right-shot defenseman is is what jumps out to me. Um, And then it's more of of the hallmarks that Talkett wants, right? Guys that can play physical, guys that can skate, guys that can move the puck. If they have size two, that's great. That's the identity he wants to build on this blue line. And then in general, just depth on the blue line, because we've seen how the Susie injury really hampered the Canucks for a stretch there until they made the Zadorov trade, having to play guys like Friedman and Juleson in the lineup on a nightly basis. And if there's one thing you know about Having a defense core in the NHL, and there's one thing you know about having a defense core in the NHL in Vancouver it's that you're going to have injuries. You're going to have to use eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 defensemen over the course of a season. So, organizational depth, I think, is going to be important for them so that. If they do have an injury or two on the blue line down the stretch, it isn't something that causes their, you know, results and success to really dip like we saw, you know, through this win one lose one five hundred stretch. Which, by the way, I think the Canucks should be credited for making sure that that was just a five hundred stretch and didn't trend even more in the wrong direction. But um, you could always use more defensemen. We've we've heard that for many years. We've seen the benefits of having defensemen. Uh, and lots of them for the Canucks in the past we've seen how much it hurts them when they don't have that organizational depth on the blue line and you know I think the other interesting thing here too is we haven't heard a lot about Guillaume Brisebois in recent weeks and every time we ask Patrick Alvin about the blue line he references that the Brisebois injury has sort of really hurt their defensive depth too so if Brisebois timeline isn't good and we haven't really heard anything new in terms of what sort of timeline he could be on to get back and at least be a depth option for them at the very least. You can always take more defensemen. You can always have more options in terms of trying to fix some of those problems. And that, to me, is the most important thing for the Canucks on the back end. Now that they've made the Zadorov trade, now that they clearly seem to have those six defensemen that you're going to put in the lineup on a nightly basis if they're all healthy. It's about building out your depth so that if any of them go down or you have to play without any of them for an extended stretch, you have multiple options that you feel comfortable going to.
1: Batch, somehow we've gotten an uh hour and a half into this show we haven't even talked about JT Miller who had his 40th point of the season on Saturday night he's the fastest Canuck to get there since Tony Tanti who by the way didn't end the year as the Canucks leading scorer that season he got passed by Patrick Sundstrom do you think that JT Miller ends the year with more points than Elias Pedersen
2: Ooh, that is a tough one
1: uh what I figure I had yes. to. I'll, I'll like. I'll give you the stats if if you want it. Just so you can. Yeah, let's like, hear it. Yeah, I, I mean I need to look them up. So just <laughs> I, I'll give them to you. You just have to give me a second. It's definitely close though. All right. Yeah. Forty uh, for I, Miller. Thirty-seven for Elias Peterson.
2: Oh, it's a tough one. Uh... I'm going to say they finish tied in points. Oh come on! I'm going to sit right on the fence. I, I mean, they've, they've, they've both been great. They've both been consistent. They've wow. both had their moments. And I'm on top of wow. that. I'm going to say not only will they finish tied in points, but Queen Hughes will finish ahead of both of them.
1: Oh, wow, wow, okay. okay, and then now you, you put some spicy, I at was going to
0: say, you salvaged it, you salvaged the fence sitting with a spicy take yeah, at the end at there. first yeah. I
1: was like, man, straddling the neutral zone like Kadarius Tony. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, that's my spicy take, is that Hughes, uh, who has had the tremendous start to the season offensively, and maybe has been a, a little bit more quiet in terms of point production of late. We've been hearing his name in the same conversations as Bobby Orr, so why not throw a spicy take in there? Quinn Hughes can lead this team in points. Whew!
1: I like it. All right. So history repeats itself. JT Miller first to 40, but not the team's leading scorer after 82. You heard it from Brendan Batchelor.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Batch. Yeah, why did you why did you go into the room tomorrow and tell GT that?
0: <laughs> Did you hear Batch thinks you're gonna really slow down in your point production? I I, I, I promise you he would care zero. Zero. Not one IO. would not care at all. Yeah. Batch, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, boys. Have a good one. That is Brendan Batchelor, the I didn't, voice of the Canucks. I don't, I don't know, know that I cooked up enough nonsense there. No, Batch, I I liked Batch's answer though. And he really He's tricked us. We were both He's like going <laughs> soft. <laughs> <laughs> we were we both reacted like, "Come on, Batch. Don't Batch! don't don't him to tie." And then he 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 salvaged it in a big way uh, by uh, by picking Quinn Hughes to finish across both of them. That is a good point, though, that we hadn't even referenced J T. Miller uh, and the continued point production that that he continues to point out I loved, up.
1: I loved I loved that goal because it's very rare that you can hear a goal. Mm. He was so loud. That in the press box, like one it was the Botchford Project on Saturday, one of the Botchford Project fellows was like, We could hear him. I was like, Yeah, you could. You could hear him <laughs> in the upper bowl. He's just like, Hira! like, absolutely screaming for that puck. Great work by Hoaglander and Brock Besser. I was just way. gonna
0: say the thing I took away from that goal, because this is like a classic, like when you're really close watching the team on a regular basis, sometimes You're not focused on, you know, J.T. Miller, who's leading the team in scoring, scoring another goal. But it's like, oh, that was a nice puck battle win from Niels Hoaglander to start that play, which is important and is relevant to the ice time discussion. But, yeah, that was kind of my uh, lasting takeaway from that goal as well was Niels Hoaglander continuing to do work
1: below the goal line. Well, and I know we have to go to break, but also, I mean, whatever. you know, we hate clock (laughs) management. (laughs) Frankly, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) But to get into it a little bit, to get it. No, you don't, Dom. Um, Much get, like the neutral zone in the NFL, if, it's if, really more of a suggestion than if, anything. If you cared about our clock management, you'd have the clips ready. Um, <laughs> Very true. Um. So, really quickly, leading the team in scoring, Miller or Pedersen? Just like, but you know, how do you how do you handicap it? I would take Pedersen. Well, so oh, you la- but you mean like what's the on the odds? I don't no, know. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to okay. lay it out for you. JT Miller currently finishing 22.4% of his shots. Mm-hmm. He's a 14.7% shooter for his career. And and in his time in Vancouver, he's been, like, wildly consistent. Both these guys are unbelievable, by the way. I- incredibly consistent. 16.4, 14.2, 15.5, 14.3. That's the last um, four seasons leading up to this year. And he, he hasn't missed many games. Like, he's missed three. That was mostly for COVID during that 2020-21 season 2-1 um just intense durability and you know we've seen what a finisher is but he's he's still finishing like 33% higher than what he's done in Vancouver even uh whereas Elias Petterson's a 16.6% career shooter 16.7% like right on his career numbers that would suggest to me that from a goal scoring standpoint anyway Pedersen's numbers are probably closer to his true talent than JT Miller's are at this point. Petterson, however, has the edge in terms of on-ice shooting percentage for this season, 14.37 to 13.2 for JT Miller. So both basically, you know, there's not a huge luck edge at five on five. And then if you look at individual point percentage, that would also favor Pedersen. All of that said... Where is Pedersen screaming into the zone while his linemates set him up for a chance like that? Sure. You know, like yeah. Miller gets to play with Besser. With Kuzmenko dropped down the lineup, who's driving offense for Pedersen? The one thing I would say is if you're if I'm just looking for
0: reasons to think these guys can produce more than they currently are, which is kind of ridiculous because they're both producing at such a high level. Oh, yeah.
1: I wouldn't say more. I no, would but say like if, sustaining. If the
0: one thing I can see is that I think Pedersen can shoot more. This is something I've brought up a few times on the yep. show, and like that's why I was so uh, happy to see him driving the middle of the ice and shooting the puck from a mm. dangerous area on that Lafferty goal. He has 66 shots through 28 games, so a hair above two per game. This is shots on goal, so you know staying pretty high level here, not getting into the shot attempts or anything. Last year he had 257 shots through 80 games, so over three per game last year, right? So there's, you know, that's what kind of peak Pedersen looked like, at least in terms of his offensive production, and I think he can still reach that gear at some point this season. And I think the other factor why I would choose Pedersen over Miller is Miller's the first-choice matchup guy, right? So he's just inherently going to be out there in some really, really tough minutes. Not that Pedersen's never going to be in those (laughs)
1: minutes. But with more skilled linemates.
0: Yep. For sure. So it balances out a little bit. I'm not saying it's a blowout for Elias Pedersen, but I think there's enough going on in the percentages in Pedersen
1: being able to shoot more. The matchups, I would take him to cover that three-point gap. I'd more, I'd be more confident if the question was Pedersen to score more by season's end, even though Miller has a 15-11 to 11 lead. The problem is... <laughs> Tom's uh, going to have a coronary. Pettersson chasing,
0: <laughs> Pedersen chasing Miller <laughs> is like when you are chasing somebody in fantasy, but your quarterback is throwing to their receiver or whatever. You, you know what I you mean? You had to do a fantasy yeah. analogy. But you know what me I mean? So it. it's like Pedersen can score a lot on the power play, but it's like how many assists, is, how many of those goals is JT Miller going to be well, in on?
1: Well, that's actually an interesting one too. So long as Miller remains at the net front, there's going to be goals that he's responsible for because he's the screener that he doesn't get That he doesn't get, get credit up. for, yeah. Whereas whereas when he's on the half wall, he gets more of those secondary hockey assists where it's like not his cross seam pass that, that's the primary point, but sets up the the you know petterson to backdoor guy yeah uh, or petterson to hughes into the back of the net point um that have been you know bread and butter for him over the past few years all right now we will take a break on our time dom
0: <laughs> on our time we will go to break final segment of the show coming up you can keep getting your you, text into <laughs> the tumbar lover text line 650 650 it is canuck stock on sports net 650
1: Big opinions and good bets. It's The People Show with Bik Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you
2: get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trantz here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Live from the Kintex studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, our, our clock management is all over the place today. And one of our regular texts in, your clock management is like a Kuzmenko shift. But fortunately, we don't have uh, Rick Hackett in the control room. <laughs> we, we, we've got Dom you the walk
1: like Kadarius Tony manages the <laughs> neutral zone. That's right. Yeah, poor Kadarius Tony. But also, do don't mean? do that. Don't do that. But by, by the way, Dom shared our Kuzmenko discussion about confidence, and I did want to yep. spotlight this text message from like an hour ago. Mm -hmm. So sorry for this listener if you've since tuned out because I I actually thought your point was salient and I I want to read it. He says, I would agree with Durantz on the talk Kuz thing except for two things. This does happen with older players and I think talk should have stuck with the commentary that we are working with Kuzi. He's used to being a star on big ice where there is less board work um, and stars don't forecheck in the K. He's doing fine and we'll figure it out rather than being glib publicly. I'm tired of talking about koozie has got to work harder, etc. I thought that was an interesting spin on it. Now, you are literally never going to hear me criticize Rick Tockett for being forthright with us. Mm. I think it's an area that he's excelled in, and I think the positives far outweigh the negatives. But we did talk last week about how it's hard to struggle in this market. Like One thing I do believe... Is that it's like there are natural advantages and disadvantages to various markets. I think we are seeing that with certain decisions that players make on where they want to play. We talk about it with low tax rates. We talk about it, um, you know, with media pressure, media attention. Some guys just want to live somewhere where they're not recognized in public constantly or, or you know, the old Lucas Pisa uh, story about like going to a restaurant in Vancouver and then being like, "Oh, you play for the Canucks. You're not very good, right?" <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like there's there are definitely this is a hard place to lose and a hard place to struggle in, and I do think you have to amelior- ameliorate or, or change up your approach sometimes as a result. And it's something talk it's never dealt with. Mm-hmm. First of all, everyone's played so well. No. His entire I, tenure, yeah, that's true. And secondly, his experience as a head coach is in Tampa Bay and Arizona. Like, I do think there's something to that. I'm, I, you know, I don't think he threw Kuzmenko under the bus necessarily. I, I don't think, you know, calling it glib commentary. I think it was frank and honest commentary. I also think it matches his internal style. I don't think there's like two sides to it. Um, so again, I'm not being critical, but I, I do think it's worth thinking about from the context of. Some of the things that make this market unique. Just one last thing on this, because I didn't really get into it when I was talking about those other markets. Like One thing that I do think um, is hard for players in, in a place like where I worked in Florida, right, is... When you struggle, you can a get away with it, mm. and b the building just empties, and it feels like what you're doing doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that can also there's also a downside to that in terms of driving bad habits or lower standards. Like I think it can be tough. It feels irrelevant, right?
0: There it, might be no pressure, but there's also
1: no push no to stakes. be better. Yeah. So so you know, I, I, I just just pointing out like while I do think it's a unique challenge that Canucks the Canucks have to manage and the Canucks players have to deal with. Um I don't think it's wholly unique. There's downsides to the other side of that coin as well.
0: And I will say on the Rick Tocket and th- that specific answer that was referenced by the texter, right? I'm tired of talking about Kuzmenko. Not that look, not that Rick Tocket is beyond criticism or beyond reproach or anything here, but I think it's important to like I don't think, I don't know Rick Tocket's mind, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't the first time he's been frustrated with Andre Kuzmenko, right? You know what I mean? So I don't think this is a case of a coach kind of at the first sign of trouble you know that's plan one is giving answers like that in the media this is something that has been building right like even here the answer he's i'm tired of i'm tired of talking about it because i've had to talk about it a lot i've had to answer these questions a lot so i think rick talk even on the healthy scratch we referenced this right what was some of his messaging about the first healthy scratch was hey I got to work with him. I got to keep working at it. There's things... I like Kuzi a lot. I just have to keep working at it. I think it's gotten to this point steadily, and it's built to this point. It's not as if this Mm -hmm. was how Taka was first approaching dealing with Andre Kuzmenko. So I do think that's important uh, context to keep in mind. And, you know, the other thing I look at is, like, we throw around... We throw around the um, the phrase change of scenery a lot in sports, and I think sometimes it's just like an easy shorthand for trading somebody who's, who's underperforming. But I think we're kind of getting a glimpse, and I'm not saying that it should happen or that it's going to happen or anything, but I think we're kind of getting a glimpse into... How a situation builds to the point where a change of scenery is a legitimate thing, right? Like where there's just a lot of water under the bridge, and you know you're in and out of the lineup, and you're not doing the things the coach wants, but then you're not getting the minutes, and that hits your confidence. Like this is kind of what it looks like. It doesn't happen all at once. It builds to a point where it's hard to rebuild that confidence. And you know I do think it's worth um, digging in a little bit too. Like we we kind of addressed the reporting that Elliot Friedman passed along that uh, that teams are calling on. Kuzmenko to the to the Canucks, but you know we have a bunch of people texting in either pro or nay the idea of trading Andre Kuzmenko. Brendan and Nanaimo Texan, I think it's crazy and ill advised to give up on a guy like Kuzmenko a quarter way into the season after the year he had last season. He has great puck skills, should be given more time to figure out the defensive uh, and responsible part of Talkit's system. Somebody else texting in. Uh, not saying I don't have the patience for Kuzmenko. This is Johnny and Kelowna. But it appears he is just not a talk-it kind of guy. Looking at trade returns, is the, retra- is the return even important if we can clear the cap space? The extra $5 million cap could create flexibility for a right-handed defenseman or a forward to play with Petey. And
1: look, I think... I say yes,
0: by the way. The Johnny makes matters. The return matters. Johnny does make an important point about the flexibility, right? Which is totally valid. We've seen how much flexibility can do for a team. The thing I keep coming back to when thinking about this. And, you know, I'm somebody who thought Kuzmenko would regress, not like this, but that he would regress from last year, you know, had no problem with talking healthy, scratching him for those two games. But we've also seen how quickly things can turn based on place in the lineup, all of that for specifically wingers, wingers who are asked to score, right? Like look at Brock Besser, look at how different the conversation around Brock Besser is from this year to last. Andre Kuzmenko in the other way, like Niels Hoaglander, from this year to last, right? Even Connor Garland, you know, there's been times where he's scoring and it looks great and times when not so much. But, you know, with Brock Besser, like everyone's saying, oh, hey, that was the best trade they didn't make. And I think obviously they're right. He's leading the NHL in scoring. The idea, I'm not saying there's no trade for Andre Kuzmenko that would make sense. The return matters. But again, I think we're just, we're not in that place where, we should be looking at it as pure addition by subtraction. Like, I would not rule out a scenario down the road where Andre Kizmenko gets some of his mojo back and is playing with Elias Patterson and is putting up points for this team.
1: Yeah. The better thing, too, right? It's worth noting, like, this is a guy who's been a 13-ish percent, 13 14% shooter his entire career and had two consecutive seasons... and 10.1, like, like, you know, a a couple standard deviations below his Mm -hmm. mean. And the thing is with Kuzmenko is we just don't know. Like the the reason for patience is we don't know. Right. We don't have a large enough sample. This guy's played one game or one season in the NHL. It was phenomenal, but it was clearly overheated by the fact, you know, 13 plus percent on ice shooting clip. Uh, sky high individual point percentage and a 27.3% conversion rate that was literally the highest in contemporary NHL history. Like, I, you know, this year he's at 10.5. I don't think he's a 10.5% shooter. I don't think he's a 27. Like, and there's a big gap between <laughs> those. Uh-huh. Like, I have no idea what his baseline is. Coming into the season, you know, I, I was talking about him as like, uh, you know, remember the Andrew Brunette was mm-hmm. my example. Was like we see this sometimes where guys vacillate r- really wildly um, when they're percentage drivers, both stylistically and in terms of like low shot rate guys. Right? Um, I-, I sort of thought of him as like a secondary, like a supporting piece, top six guy. Has my opinion changed on that? Has your opinion? Like, were we too? Was that too low? Was the Brunette? I don't think it was. Like, I really don't think it was. I still think this guy's probably – I guess I, my confidence is maybe downgraded. Maybe I'm like – maybe he's more like a middle six offensive guy than a top six offensive guy, but I still think he's probably a top six offensive guy with unique game-breaking ability. And I still think we're going to have a stretch where he runs incredibly hot <laughs> like and, yep. and is feeding it to us. Now, it's harder to get
0: that when you're playing with – Niels Amon and Phil Giuseppe, right? He's still in the power play, so that can facilitate it, but I think it's just, and that's one of the things, like, what, what's one of the things that could earn him more playing time is getting on a hot streak like that, right? Not that, you know, Rick Tockett's been very good about saying, or very consistent about saying, like, hey, we know he can score for a team that doesn't win that much. We want to see the other things, but still, if you're get on fire and put in five goals in six games, you know, you're going to see an uptick in minutes, but it's just harder to get that hot stretch to earn you the ice time when you're playing on the fourth line.
1: I see what you're saying, but is there not a world a week from now where his line mates are Pew Suter and Vasily Podkolzin? Yeah. You know, I mean, could he get on a hot streak with with those guys? You know, like, the the. I mean, right now, Neil Zaman, I, you know, I, I don't see a lot offensively there. I, I never have. Phil DiGiuseppe, I still think you're seeing a middle... Like, if you're playing with Pew Suter and Phil DiGiuseppe, that's not bad. Especially if you're playing fourth-line matchups. Mm-hmm. Like, you should... I guarantee you Brock Besser would produce. (laughs) But it's a raw minutes thing, too, though, right? I'm not saying... uh, Yeah, for sure. I'm not saying he would, like, crush it, Brock Besser or or Connor Garland or whatever. But, like, those aren't minutes that... If you're getting that and first power play unit time, like, 45 points is sort of a baseline expectation if you're you're a top-six caliber offensive driver, in my opinion. You know? So... I don't know. I mean, I I see the argument. I just think we shouldn't overreact too much to the opportunity thing either, given the forward depth in this lineup. Like, Phil, I don't think Phil DiGiuseppe is a nothing offensively.
0: No, and I I guess the other part of it is
1: we've seen... He's not a driver or anything, but he's not nothing.
0: You know, we've seen players... I think Rick Tockett keeps, and the coaching staff in general like their opinions on the guys don't seem to be set in stone too much. You know what I mean? Which I think speaks highly of them, right? Like Niels Hoaglander has been a healthy scratch at points this year. Then he comes in and, you know, and was playing 10 minutes a game for a long time. Now he's earned his minutes. He was out there late against, uh, against Carolina, right? He's earned his minutes with Miller and Besser, like Sam Lafferty. He's playing well right now, but I don't think he's stapled to the top line like that. Like he could absolutely play his way off of that top line. So I think there's still room for opportunities to open up, higher up the lineup for Andre Kuzmenko, Like, and maybe he, his game has to change for that to happen. But I don't look at the top six as it's currently constructed and think, "Well, there's no way for somebody to break
1: back into that."
0: You know, <laughs> you know no, what I mean? There's absolutely no. going to be chances down the road for him to get those no, uh, those types of minutes.
1: And this guy's gonna break some games open. He's like, um, he's like the you know what he is. He's the character when you're assembling a team for a heist. Okay, and you need the guy who can like pick any lock. Mm. Like at the end of the day. This is a guy who can, while thrashing about and doing a spin move, you know, find the exact way to crack the uncrackable safe. Like, he's a precision instrument when he's on, and, and we're going to see it. I, I'm pretty confident we're going to see it, or at least flashes of it, um, over the balance. I, I don't think I'm so low on this guy that I'm throwing around Goldobin comps or whatever, and, and you know, I, I've tended to be a little more skeptical of him, I think, than market, but... Uh, this this level of play we're seeing from him, I don't think reflects who he is, and and I do think you're right about the winger conversation. Like I think that's a really vital one. Evaluating wingers, especially when they don't get PP one opportunity, um, is is really difficult, and and I think where it becomes a little more concerning is if you do get that PP1 opportunity and are still struggling yeah, or fair. still not producing or still not being additive, then then I think you start to get concerned.
0: Well, look, and to this management group's credit, they never paid whatever price it would have taken to get off Besser, right? They never did it with Connor Garland either. So yeah, was there an appetite potentially to move those players? Sure, but I think they ultimately made the right decision, right? Like, we're not going to pay through the nose to move these deals. Now, I don't know like do you think it would cost to move Kuzmenko now one year left at over five million
1: i, I like I I haven't I haven't made calls kuzmenko's one of those players who teams like a lot or have no time for right like, it's he's you know and that's not dissimilar to like from, a Connor garland, from garland yeah. right like another polarizing type of player so that would suggest that it's probably pretty difficult and then once you've got a guy attached to you know, a five point five million dollar hit with term, we we know what that does to a, to a player's value, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I let let me do some homework on it and get back to it. My gut would be. My gut would be that you know it feels like not, a it, it feels like a positive value. It feels like a dollar in dollar
0: out kind of situation. Yeah, right? I think that's right. Uh, Luke from the island says, "Listen, if you can swap Kuzmenko for a like salary at, uh, in a defenseman, you're, you'd be stupid not to look at it." Well, I yeah, th- but, but that's, I don't think you, that's yeah.
1: true for almost any winger. And he like, says, "I don't
0: think that qualifies as giving up on him. It's maybe selling low, which I think is a fair way to look at it." And I'm not saying. There's no scenario where they should trade Kuzmenko. It's just about calibrating like this level of desperation. I mean, I've made this point a dozen times about Besser and Garland, right? Like, hey, if there's a world where there's a trade that makes sense, that's fine, but it shouldn't be seen as this, oh man, we have to do whatever we can to move these guys from our roster. And I would say with Kuzmenko, you know, he's got one year left on his deal after this one, right? So if you think there is a path forward, because right? the thing that could change this calculus is with inside knowledge of the relationship between him and the coaching staff, if you just don't think there's a path forward, okay, then that maybe that changes the math. But if you think there's a legitimate path forward where he can be in your top six and contributing again – it's a fairly low-risk bet to make because he's a UFA after next season, right? Like, you're, like, 18 months away from him being a UFA. So it's not as if he's got this super long-term contract where, you know, you're really nervous and you're thinking, oh, man, we better get off of this as soon as we can here. Like, it's fundamentally a a
1: short-term deal at this point. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and obviously the the, the difference, though, is that last year when we were having these conversations, value management made sense, and this year there's stakes. Like, if he's... Only going to play fourth line minutes for you at five point five million, right? Like it doesn't even matter whether he can play talk at system or not, whether he four checks hard or not. We just saw that with Beauvillier, right? Like if you're a playoff team, a four four, a four to a five point five million dollar winger playing in your bottom six is a problem, a problem. Period. Right. And so, you know, it, it it's an interesting one, and I think that's why it's so engaging. Plus, the the vacillations have been yeah. so
0: extreme. Well, and to your point there, it gets back to kind of, I think, the fundamental question we're all kind of talking around here, right? Which is what are the stakes of this season? How much does making the playoffs like it, does making the playoffs check the box and then everything else on that is gravy, or are there more stakes to it, right? Because you could make the playoffs if you trade if with Andre Kuzmenko it, playing it, like he is. It'd be hard to miss them. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. So if that's the concern, then it's like, well, I don't think there should be a lot of pressure. If you're trying to do more than that, right? And if you're like, if there's concerns about
1: physicality or anything like that playoff style uh then maybe that's a different thing but and you got to be trying to do more i mean the pacific has just like opened up like so many of these teams that we at least thought would be passable right calgary and seattle in particular are just non-entities they're Mm -hmm. not in this race so you know opportunity knocks and it's been a long time since this market saw playoff hockey at Rogers arena. I think those stakes are high.
0: Uh, Tyler texts in Kuzmenko for Dumba. Let's start it again. <laughs> After all the bets are for Dumba rumors, just <laughs> plug another winger
1: in there. Let's go. It's destined to happen at some point. Uh, uh, that makes me sick. <laughs> you like Matt Dumba. I do. I, I'm a big Matt Dumba guy. You were, you were high on him. They were,
0: you were, uh, that was one of the reasons you were high on the Coyotes.
1: They went and got Matt Dumba. Uh, I'm, I'm high on the Coyotes for a lot of reasons. By the way, Coyotes Sabers tonight, baby. Ah! Even I, even I can't possibly watch two football games when Coyotes Sabers is on. Don't miss it; it's gonna be a lot of fun. Track meet hockey, baby. Oh boy! How about Michael Carcone? You think? Oh, you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome. Just, just great. Like, I love the stories of the guy who spends like six years toiling away and then gets an opportunity like this and and seizes it, like you know, his next contract's probably going to be pretty lucrative. He'll have made a, a stellar career for himself. Not bad for an undrafted free agent signed first by the Vancouver, by the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks traded for Josh Levo, if I'm correct. Right.
0: To the lease organization. Wow. I'm pretty sure. Wow. So that trades is a loss now. Yes. <laughs> That's not why I brought it up. But Anyways. Uh, all right. We'll wrap it up there. We'll be down at the rink for the Canucks and the Tampa Bay lightning tomorrow. Uh, Have a great day. We're uh, we're back tomorrow. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.